Hey, welcome to Table Flippers Podcast, Ministry of Greater Worship Christian Church in Lancaster, California. I am your host, Apostle Robert Enos. This is where we talk about the issue the church faces and how the church should respond to those issues. Here we will talk about doctrine, theology, politics, social and cultural issues, and how the church is to deal with these things. So get ready for a large dose of truth and get ready for the tables to be flipped. Here at Table Flippers, table flipping is what we do. Welcome back to Table Flippers Podcast. I am your host, Robert Enos, and um, you know, I, again, I'm just really enjoying all of you, enjoying your company, enjoying your comments and stuff, so please keep them coming. Today I'm going to be dealing with chapter 10 from my book, Time for Transition. The title of this chapter is The Challenge of Obscurity. I want to begin by reading the first page. We found that under the leadership of Saul, all of Israel, including the army, was full of fear on account of Goliath and his taunts. The people became afraid because their leader, Saul, was scared. This shows us that people will follow a leader even when that leader is failing to lead as he should. Saul was not a failure as a leader because he actually led the people. What caused him to be a failure was how he led the people and what he led them into. This shows us that Saul had everything needed to become a great king because of his leadership skills. It is sad that he led the people into the wrong things. Here in the story of Goliath, Saul led the people into fear and dismay. He was the king and influential leader that could have led his people into courage and victory. I want to stop right there for just a moment just to point something out. I've read many books on leadership and I've heard many people try to define leadership. And to me, it's most, if not all, but most of them, have kind of a, a obscure or wrong definition of leadership, even from some of the best teacher, teachers on leadership. The question I think they should ask themselves is what makes a good leader? But the, you'll often hear them say, well, what makes a leader? What is a leader? And there's only one thing, listen to me, one thing that makes a person a leader, only one thing. And this one thing is followers. Now, the reason I point this out is because you'll hear many people talk about leadership and they'll say, oh, you, you need good character. You, you need speaking skills, uh, the ability to communicate. You need to be able to connect with people. And these are all great things that go into good leadership. But there's only one thing needed to be a leader, and that's followers. Now, the reason I point this out is because we sometimes miss the mark. We miss the mark. When we see somebody who has many followers and we assume they're good leaders, well, they might be good in the sense of their abilities, but that doesn't always make that them good or righteous leaders. Saul was a good example of this. Yes, Saul started out strong, good king in the very beginning, but he got off, And but he was still a leader. He was still king. Well, what made him a leader? The fact that he had followers and that's it. Um, he led them into the wrong things, as we learned from other chapters in my book that Saul led all of Israel, including his own army, into fear because of one giant, Goliath. So he was leading them, but he led them into fear. So I just wanted to point that out because, again, sometimes we have this misunderstanding of what makes a leader. There's only one thing that makes a leader, and that's followers. You're not a leader in set, in, 
till somebody is following you. Now, if we're going to ask the question, what makes a good leader, which maybe we'll discuss at another time, that's a whole different other discussion. But there's only one thing. It's a simple answer. What makes a leader? Followers. That's it. Let me finish reading here. Before David, we find no giant killers in Israel. Instead, the army and nation were afraid of just one giant because Saul was afraid of that one giant. It is interesting and sad at the same time, but this is happening all around us today. Many are in fear of things just because a leader is in fear of it. As I pointed out with the end-time theology that is being preached today, many are in fear of the future because of the way this doctrine is being pushed on the church today. Many leaders are pushing this doctrine as if it were on the same level as the doctrine of salvation. It is sad that many are cowering in fear because of this teaching and teachings like it. Fearful preachers are pushing their fear onto the body of Christ and many are giving in to it. Many giants have come against the church today. Some of these giants have been embraced and propped up from the pulpit. I'm speaking of the giants of defeatist end-time theology, greasy grace or hyper-grace ideologies that remove individual responsibility, fundamentalist teachings that say the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit are no longer in the church, etc. These are giants in the church, and where these types of ideologies are being espoused, the people are becoming what these ideologies are declaring, fearful, irresponsible, and weak. It is time for a revolution of glory and power in the church, but it will not happen until we have a revolution in what is taught from the pulpits. After David rose up as a giant killer, at least four other giant killers came up after him. Remember, you become what you are under. Whatever your covering is, or whoever your covering is, you will become as well. This is a principle that must be understood. I know people that have almost nothing good to say about the church they attend. Once, while in a conversation with somebody that complained a great deal about the church they attended, I asked, then why do you go there? Their answer was, well, they have a good children's ministry. So this family attended a church they did not like or appreciate only because of the children's ministry, all the while becoming the very thing they were complaining about. That is simply how it works. Each of us will receive an impartation from the leadership of the church we attend, making us into that which is over us. We all need to meditate and answer this question. What are you under? Because that is what you are becoming. Someone that has the heart of David would find a church that was spirit-filled and on fire, then join, get involved, and create a great children's ministry or whatever was needed. Giant killers do just that. They kill giants. They do not get lost in a church that will not grow in just because it has one thing going for it. They will get involved in a church that has the potential to increase into a training ground for giant killers. If your church is not being led by a giant killer and already producing giant killers, then it most likely never will. If your church is being led by a giant killer and has produced even one giant killer, then it can grow and produce much more. Always remember, you become what you are under. Under Saul, everyone was afraid. But while under David, everyone had courage. What are you under? Coming out of obscurity. 1 Samuel 17, 12-15 says this, Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name is Jesse, and who had eight sons, 
And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. David's brothers, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, joined Saul in the battle against the Philistines. All three of them heard the taunts of Goliath for forty days straight. David at this point was also employed by Saul as the king's personal deliverance minister. David would play for the king whenever the distressing spirit from God would come upon him. As David played, the spirit would retreat, bringing temporary relief to Saul. At least four sons of Jesse were employed as soldiers by Saul, three in his natural army and one in the supernatural army. David returned to his home and father to help with the flocks. David spent most of his time with Saul in the palace, but we would often return home to help his father with the sheep. Even though David had a lofty position working for the king in the palace, he still had the heart of his father and the sheep he would tend. This is important to understand the heart and character of David. He did not forget where he came from because he often went back and helped on the family farm. This is the quality of leadership God wants to see arise today. Often we see people build a name for themselves, then forget who they really are and where they've come from. God wants leaders that will remain humble enough to roll up their sleeves and milk the cow. Until we have leaders that remain humble as David did, we will not have a sustained move of God in the earth. We are introduced to Saul in the story of his father's donkeys that go missing, 1 Samuel chapter 9. Saul went looking for the donkeys and could not find them. Contrast this story with David in 1 Samuel 17, and you will conclude that David was far more diligent regarding his duties as a son and as a shepherd. While Saul was looking for his father's donkey that had escaped, David is found taking constant care of his father's sheep. Saul wanted to quit looking for the lost donkeys after three days, while David fought lions and bears while protecting the sheep and held down another job working for the king as well. This is just one of the reasons we find that David was a man after God's own heart, whereas Saul ultimately was rejected by God for his disobedience. David proved himself diligent in everything he put his hands to. After reading 1 Samuel 17, verses 21 through 27, we find, As Goliath is taunting the Israelites, David is inquiring about what would happen to the man that brings down this giant. The man that kills Goliath would receive great riches from the king. He would win the king's daughter in marriage, be related to the king. His father's house would be exempt from taxes. Now, just a personal note, that right there would be enough for me to face off with Goliath. Back to the book. This is important because it should have motivated many in Saul's army to go into action. I am sure David was confused, wondering why no one rose to the challenge, especially knowing that the one they would defeat, Goliath would have been rewarded greatly. It is interesting that David never thought that the job of killing Goliath was a difficult task. He never showed any fear or apprehension of any type. Instead, he was confused as to why no one else was willing to face the giant. 1 Samuel 17 verses 28 through 30. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? 
I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him towards another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Eliab, David's oldest brother, became angry at David. Eliab goes so far as to say that David is full of pride and insolence of heart. He even mocks David by asking, And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I believe that Eliab was angry because his fear of Goliath was exposed by David. He showed just how emotionally weak and immature he was. Often people that are as Eliab will put down others for themselves to look and feel bigger and better than they are, just as Eliab did here with David. This is unfortunately the way many deal with their insecurities. They change the subject and point the finger at others, especially those who make them come face to face with their fears. Often those who are making accusations against another, as Eliab did with David, are guilty of the very accusations they are making. Many church leaders do this quite often. Problems arise and it is never their fault. They blame everyone else but themselves. Again, what are you under? Notice David's reaction, verse 29 and 30. David brought the conversation back to the issue at hand by saying, Is there not a cause? After the issue was at hand and in the forefront, David did what we all need to learn to do. Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. David did not remain in a conversation with someone that was verbally assaulting him. He turned and found another person to speak with. The passage does not make it clear, but I'm sure David sought someone that he could talk with that was not as consumed by fear and the backlash that fear creates. 1 Samuel 17, 31-33 Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail, because of your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Know this, your words will eventually make their way to the king or those in authority, just as David's word became known to Saul. Just a side note, that's why we need to be careful of what we say and how we say it. Because your words will be taken to those in authority. Your words will be taken to the king. Okay? And not only your words, but your character. So you better have character to back up the words that you are saying. Back to the book. As a church leader, I have had many people over the years try to convince me of all their exploits. One man came to my church for one service, then wanted a private meeting with me. During this meeting, he told me of his credentials, the churches he served in, the people that he knew, etc. For over an hour, I sat and listened to this man try to sell himself to me. The whole time I sat wondering where all this was going. After he told me everything about how great he was, he told me why I was with him in that meeting. He said, I want to be a pastor in your church. Now, he had only been at my church for one service. I did not even know this man. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know his first name. We had said hello and shook hands three days prior at church, but we were never properly introduced at that time. Here he was trying to convince me that I needed him as a pastor at my church, and I didn't even know his name. That, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is a true story that actually happened to me. This gentleman visited us. I thought he was just a visitor. He wanted to meet with me. I don't normally meet with people that I don't know on that level because I have a, a whole church 
of people that when they want my time and my attention, I need to give it to them. But for some reason, I just felt like I should go meet with him. So I did. We had a uh, lunch and he wanted to be a pastor at my church. And I, at that time, I didn't even know his first name. I didn't even know his name. This is how desperate he was to get a title and a position that he didn't know me. I didn't know him, but he was so desperate for title and position. He was practically begging in a strange way by bragging to, for me to give him a position in my church. Let me uh, keep reading from the book. This brings to mind a personal pet peeve of mine. In the church world today, many are title chasers. That is a person that builds himself up by chasing after and attaching grand titles to their name. It may be the title of pastor or reverend, evangelist, apostle or prophet, the title of bishop, or my all-time favorite, revivalist. Every one of these titles should be self-evident. We are to do our title before we demand our title. Here's some examples. A pastor should be lovingly caring for and leading God's people. A prophet should be prophesying the mysteries of the Lord. A bishop should be an overseer of several churches or ministries or some major ministry in the church. A revivalist should be a leader and steward of a revival, such as William Seymour, Catherine Kuhlman, Smith Wigglesworth, and the list goes on. An apostle should be one that goes out and establishes churches and ministries. If we are not daily living up to the title attached to our name, we need to drop the title before we are put into a battle we cannot win. David was a slayer of bears and lions, so he could be a slayer of giants. Just as the list above proposes, those that are not living up to the title they carry should drop the title until they are doing what the title suggests. Many wear the titles of the pastor, but rarely are they around the people they are to be pastoring. They come onto the platform without touching anyone or being touched by anyone. They preach their message and then sneak out the back door behind the platform. It is impossible to be a pastor without being among the people. These people should drop the title until they reevaluate re what they are doing and why they do it. I'm going to stop reading right there. Again, that was chapter 10 from my book, Time for Transition. And again, it just deals with some of the issues in the church that we need to face, but especially from church leaders. Those of us who have title, pastor, uh, teacher, evangelist, apostle, prophet, uh, we need to start living up to those titles. I know it looks really cool when you get the name tag. You go to a meeting, get the name tag, and you can put in big red letters, pastor or apostle or prophet, and then your name in little black letters underneath. But that's all just you know fun and games it's all just fallacy it's all just uh it's nonsense really we need to start living up to these things saul was the king of israel and at that time he refused to live up to what that meant he should have been the first one on that battlefield to face off with goliath and he was hiding in his tent this little boy of 16 17 years old david says i don't know why everybody's so afraid i'll go out and face him your servant will take off his head and they try to dissuade him they try to tell him how foolish that was oh you're just a kid who do you think you are you should be with the sheep but he goes down there and takes off goliath's head and then of course as as we would say the rest is history david already carrying the anointing of king will eventually take the position in the throne as king why because even before he had the position 
and the throne as king, he did what the king was supposed to do. He he took care of and brought down the enemies of the people that he would be leading. Saul should have been doing that, but Saul couldn't do that or wouldn't do that because he was caught up in fear. And pastors and church leaders today, this is what I want to, uh, you know, you've We've got to. I say we because I put myself in that mix. I'm a church leader. I founded a church. I pioneered a church. I'm the lead apostle of Greater Works Christian Church here in Lancaster. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be in leadership. I know what it's like to lead God's people. I know what it's like to face off some issues and problems that seem so much bigger than me. I know what it's like to feel ill-equipped for these things. I know what it's like to even wake up and look at these things with a an apprehension, maybe even a fear. But I also notice like to overcome that fear and press on anyways. I notice like to just gird up my loins, so to speak, or roll up my sleeves and get out there and face the giants of the day. I notice like to take a few hits and fall down. But I also notice like to stand back up and give a few hits back. I know these things. And so what I'm telling you, it's not that it's impossible. It's very possible. It's not that it's some distant dream. It's a right here now reality. You and I can face the giants of the day and come out victorious. You and I can stand strong in the face of opposition first, even from our own brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and our own leaders, those that are over us, And once we overcome their taunts, we can certainly overcome the taunt of the enemy on the battlefield. And it's very possible and it's very real. The the thing is, we just got to do it. So why aren't more and more pastors doing that? Why aren't more church leaders doing that? Because those are the ones that are in leadership positions for the wrong reasons. They're not there because they're truly called. They're not there to truly make a difference. They're there to get their name in lights. They're there like this gentleman that I was telling you about who wanted a position in my church with a title in my church, a church that he knew nothing about. He only visited us that one time. I didn't even know his name. He didn't know me, but he really wanted a position and a title in my church. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's not really the way it's supposed to work. Unfortunately, it does work that way in many circles, but it doesn't work in my circle. You've got to prove yourself to be what you claim to be before I give you that title or that position or that open door. In other words, if you're going to tell me, hey, I'm called to be a pastor, I better have found you loving on the people, caring for the people. When they're crying, you're crying. When they're rejoicing, you're rejoicing. When they need help, you're there. That tells me you're a true pastor. If you say, hey, I'm going to be, I want to prophesy. I'm a prophet. I'm going to prophesy in your church. I better find you with a prophetic voice in your mouth long before any door is open for you to come in and minister in that capacity. If you tell me, hey, I want to be an evangelist. I want to be the evangelist of your church. Wonderful. I better have already found you winning souls to Christ. That's the way it's supposed to work. I don't put people in positions just because they're a quote-unquote leader, as we were talking earlier. Okay, all a leader needs is followers, but what are you leading them in? I'll put a person in a position and I'll open doors for them when their leadership qualities and character is actually bringing their followers to a higher place and to a better place. You see, Saul stopped being a good leader. 
He was just a leader, but he stopped being a good leader. That's why he failed. David was a great leader because he had all the qualities and characteristics of a leader, of a good leader, of a great leader, and it was seen in how the people's lives changed under David's leadership. And that's what we want, and that's where we're going, and that's what I'm looking for. So, ladies and gentlemen, again, I ask the question, uh, what are you under? What is your pastor? What are your church leaders like? I pray and I hope that you have fantastic leaders, and they're leading you up the mountain, so to speak. They're leading you into better places. They're leading you into greater anointings. They're leading you into a closer walk with Jesus. But if that's not the case, maybe you really need to reevaluate why you're at that church and make some needed changes. Again, I am doing my best not to make people think that I'm okay with church hoppers or people not going to church at all. The exact opposite. I think we should find great churches and stay there a long time. And I think we should go every time those doors are open. But if you're going to a church every time that those doors are open and that church is not a good quality church with a good quality pastor leader, then go find another one that you can give your time and attention and effort and energy to. Because that's what we need to do. Because we should all be going up the mountain into a greater reality and a greater um, relationship with God, with a greater relationship of Christ. We should all be gaining and walking out greater revelation. And that's not always the case. So find that church and give your time, your attention, your devotion to those pastors and to that place. And you will see yourself grow and you'll see your family grow. You'll see great things happen in you and around you. So I appreciate each and every one of you. You, God bless and have a great day. Thank you for joining us here at Table Flippers. I would love to hear from you. You can find my contact information at www.gwcclancaster.org. That's gwcclancaster.org. Please let us know how we are doing. I look forward to hearing your thoughts and comments. Have a fantastic day.